Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is Don Krieger. Don is an accomplished poet. He's also one of the organizers of the Facebook group Cultivating Voices Live Poetry every week. His tech savviness and direction are on display, and he ensures a successful program. Hello, Don. How are you tonight? Hi, Michael. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for, for doing this. Yes, yes. It, I feel so honored to have you with me. Let's begin this journey, okay? Sure. What is poetry? <laughs> what is poetry? It's like, what is art? I, I think I, I think I can say what it is for me, because um, I, I think this is one of those questions that really doesn't have an answer, no, a definitive no answer. answer, but but it, yes. it's really an interesting one. Um, for me, poetry is a way of of communicating that has very particular characteristics, which emphasize creativity and freedom with the language. Um, I, I think, if, for instance, in, in an academic, you know, in a piece that goes into an academic journal, there's a bunch of things that you can't do that you can do with in a poem. Um, and, uh, I mean, those things are, you know, use different formatting to, emphasize, to, to instruct people when when to take a breath, you know, line breaks, enjambment, you know, all all the tools that you have. And but but more importantly you have the freedom to come off the rails whenever you want, you know, and use something that, that you know, use an odd expression that, that that's evocative in some way that, that you want to get at something. Yes, very nice. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Um, well, they sort of, uh, come from two different areas. One is, I take my prompts from the news and, uh, you know, I, I follow what's going on in the world and I think about it. And, uh, so a lot of my poems are topical, um, I wouldn't call them political. I think political is a way of dismissing good topical work. But the word politi- political itself is, is newspeak. You know, it's a way of, it's a homogenizing term which degrades uh, what people write about what's going on in the world. Um, that's one area. And the other area is... Uh, I have issues. I have things that move me that are important to me in my personal life. And I write about those things, too. Um, Some of that writing is therapeutic, meaning that it's just for me. 
but it actually a lot of that stuff I've I've published and and that actually helps too. All right. Please share a poem. All right. This one sort of comes from both. A new world. I gashed my knee, my head too, maybe a broken rib. Someone at work offered a bed so he could check me through the night. As a kid, I often fell, a stone under a skate, a bike crash. When a scrape bled or that time they found me against a tree root, when when a scrape bled or that time they found my head against a tree root, no one said a word or seemed to care. I didn't either. If they see my frailty, though, how long will I hold my job? How much safer to look good now that I'm old? Two. At the giant eagle, an old man stares at the pay pad till the clerk presses the button for him. I use cash so I won't look like that. Outside, they walk by laughing, hand in hand, or just looking at each other. I don't notice their color, only that they're young and have accents I don't understand. Three. At the lotto counter, we wait, our faces in posture, American, surrendered to hope and chance, like trees. We could do something with life in it, look at each other, or at least at those faces on the street. Is that why we hate them, saying what they please, acting like they're free? Four. Lately, people talk faster than I can listen, like I'm sitting on a bench and they're running by. Maybe I'm listening too deep to keep up, because under the talk, I see the vitality of their thought and hear our shared humanity. It's getting worse, and I'm often near tears, but it feels like freedom. That's a new world. Wow. That was so powerful. I could feel it. How does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? Uh, Definitely. Well, it comes with uh, either an idea or a narrative. Um, It's not an instantaneous thing. Um, I think all the time. And I spend all my time thinking, and and uh, it typically comes from a sequence of, of of thoughts that form a narrative. Do you sit and think through every word? I guess it's about thinking. Sit and think through every word of every stanza, or do you write freely and allow the words to flow? Well, I. I definitely don't think through all the words. I, I don't really think in words at all most of the time. Mm. So, um, but uh, when I write, um, when I write it down, I, I translate what's into my head, in my head, into words, and 
what's in my head, what, what, what's, what I'm trying to do is, is get down the sequence of thoughts, get down the narrative. Okay. Wow. So you don't think in words? No, I think a lot of people don't, actually. Tell me more about that. That intrigues me. <laughs> well, some people, like you can tell, that they really tell that they think in words. And some people, like I think what dominates my thinking is feelings, actually. And, and uh, like that's even, even when I'm, I'm thinking about technical stuff, mathematics or or whatever it's it's yes I, I, it's hard to express but it's definitely not in words let's go back in your past did you come from a literary background that's part one and what did you learn about writing growing up <laughs> uh well I don't come from a you know formal literary background. I mean, I could I, I could read and write, you know, since I was a little kid. And and um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and my my reading skill was I, I was able to read anything I wanted from the time I was six or so. So like I was reading. Like I read Crime and Punishment when I was eight years old. You're um, lying. Seriously? Well, Seriously? Actually, I, I didn't read the whole thing because it was too depressing. I read about 150 <laughs> pages. And I, I, like realized I love that book. It, was, it wasn't going to get any better, so I well, put it down. And it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I cut you off. I am so sorry. <laughs> no, it's Please, please, it's fine. Um, I mean, my, you know, in, in our house, like everybody was encouraged to do their schoolwork and read. I mean, it was definitely at the top of the list to do well in school and, and um, actually was particularly at the top of my list because I saw it as the way out of the house yes. to go to college. You know, so I was thinking about going to college from the time I was in elementary school. And, you know, I, I, I was a sort of an odd kind of a kid. Um, but, I mean, my first real encounter with poetry, um, with literature in general, I guess, I mean, I read stuff. I read I gave a report on the wasteland, T.S. Eliot's poem, when I was a senior in high school and actually got an F on the report. And uh, I, the, the teacher, she didn't really, she really didn't like my stuff. And, uh, but I, I, I got into um, reading, I read the Odyssey, I came across the Odyssey and I, I read that many times. Um, and I, I think it's just wonderful. And then I had I had some occasion to read poetry and plays and books and stuff in in, in college too. 
where was there one particular poet or one particular this is my question what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power uh well the odyssey definitely meaning the odyssey yeah i mean when you you read this, the odyssey i mean it's just you know there's this guy i mean odysseus i mean he was you know he was supposed to be so clever and everything but he was he was just a moron he he kept walking like any door that was open he would take it you know like, you know like i mean athena tells him you're gonna you know that the sirens are going to be there don't listen you know they're going to read you know and, and then she she knows him she says but if you have to listen have them tie you to the mask you know and and, and i mean you know but the thing is you read that and it's like these are the these are things that happened at the beginning of the world. These are the archetypal things. That's the sense that you get from it. The language is very spare. It's not at all like the Bible. I mean, the Bible's mm-hmm. not like that. Um, anyway, I you know I got that that there was power in in that way of of expressing things. Um, and then when I was in college. I actually wrote a few things, and I, I had a teacher there, who Denise Levertov, who I read some of her stuff, and, and uh, I didn't really understand most of it, but um, I, got, I got the idea that there was another way of writing and expressing that was good. Please share another poem. Um, all right. Uh, Dream Street. I left her the house and got a place on Torley. Each night the neighbors put chairs on the sidewalk, turn the TV face out, drink Iron City, and watch the kids play in the street. I get home from work at 6 or 10 or 2, shower and then sleep with eyes open a child shrieking on a hospital gurney, her spine flayed and straightened, the smell of burning in my hair. A new mother life-flighted from the mall, brain shifting in the scanner, crushed by bleeding while we watch. We drink coffee and wait while a father facing doom in our hands says goodbye to his children. Each day I pedal in over the Bloomfield Bridge or drive when called at night, never dreaming what will come next. That's Dream Street. That that that's that that's appeared in, in several places and, and it's been translated into Farsi. Oh wow. Congratulations. Yeah. How do you feel? Cool. How do you feel when you find your work translated like that into other places? What goes through you? Well, what that means to me is that this is now accessible to people who don't think like me. Mm. You know, which 
I mean, it, it makes me proud of the work. It makes me very happy that it's going to have a life in another in another language for a whole other set of people. Um, getting stuff translated is really important, and and uh, helping to translate stuff if if you can is also very important. I you know, I think it's wonderful the international angle. Well, I love the statement, life in another language. I love that. Yes. Finding life in another language. Wow. Let's take a brief break, Don, and we'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> Pennsylvania, and in the, the Washington, D.C. area, and, and, you know, not so far from you, actually. Um, my partner lives lives in, in uh, Maryland, just north of D.C., so we spend half our time here. So how has your upbringing, how did your upbringing in Florida, as well as your travels, impacted your writing? How did it shape you? Um. Well, my upbringing sort of, it impacts my issues for sure, um, and I, that's in my writing. Here, let, let me read you one, a short one. You'll, you'll get okay. the idea right away. Childhood's end. You'll be a man, my son, if Rudyard Kipling. Promise me power or eternal life. Give me wealth. Open your legs. I am proof against all of it, thanks to my father, who often recited if, who turned to me as we drove his weekly round to collect $12 from women in cement block houses, doors open, TVs flashing, children playing on the sand floor, or coming to touch my pale skin in wonder. He turned to me, a child of six, as we rode in his rusted Hillman minx and said, You know, Don, I would never be unfaithful to your mother. That's childhood's end. You know, I read that poem earlier today. 
and I wondered, what is he sharing in this piece? <laughs> I'm serious. I read it earlier today, and I wondered that to myself because I could take it in so many different directions. Well, and maybe that's what poetry is, and, and it doesn't need to be defined. Well, that's actually that's one of the one of the things that's at the top of my list for my poems is the, the thing that's actually at the top is at, at the top is that my stuff be comprehensible, yes. and. Um, if it's not, then I feel like it failed for that reader. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the idea here is you, you had this little kid and you have the father just turning to him in the car and saying, I would never be unfaithful to your mother. To your mother, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, yes. where did that come from? I mean, mm-hmm. what, you know, what I knew from the time I was, six or seven years old is that my father was a liar. I mean, it was mm-hmm. as simple as that. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was telling you earlier, you know, before before the show started, that thing about sexism and, and racism. I mean, that's, it's just everywhere. You know, we're, we're indoctrinated with it. And, um, well, that line in that poem about someone, little children touching your pale skin, that really, really affected me. That touched me. I hadn't really thought about that. Not in America. Oh, my. Well, that's the other part of this. You know, that's the other part of this. I mean, I, I grew up in the, you know, the segregated South, small mm-hmm. southern city. And my father was a bill collector, you know, and I'd drive around with him on Saturday and he collected bills. I mean, he would, he would go over into, please excuse me, it was called Colored Town, you know, oh, and, and knock on doors and, and, you know, collect money and under the guise of helping people pay their bills. And, um, you know, I would get out of the car often and, and kids would, I was a little kid and, and other little kids would come up to me and be fascinated by my skin as I was by theirs. Because yes. I never I never saw that. Like my school was all white people. Mm-hmm. Like I never, I never sat in the same room with somebody who wasn't white until I was in college. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, it's except on a bus. Like I yes. actually, I have a I have a piece about the bus. I'll read it. You know, when we maybe when we get to the next next uh, reading thing. Um, okay. I mean, this stuff is. I, I was actually encouraged to write about my experiences in Florida by Rowan Ricardo Phillips. I, I don't know if you know him. He, he's a no, I don't no. He's a very fine poet. Um, he was at Princeton for a while. He's, I think he's at uh, City College in New York now. And, and uh, I took a workshop with him. And um, he he encouraged me to write about Florida. And uh, so I have. 
and this is the way it comes out. I mean, one of the things about this poem is that there there's more than one thing in the poem. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that that racial thing and the sex sexist thing, and yes, and the and the, the thing about the, the the you know a father who's just a jackass, and that that that's one of the characteristics I think that that I think is important. Certainly, I feel it's important in my poetry that there be more than one thing there in each poem, and they're, you know, they, they sort of work together and often work together to paint a rather ugly picture. Um, but that's how the world is. Well, speaking of how the world is and that ugly picture, does poetry excite you or exhaust you? Writing it. Um, writing it is, I mean, you know, at the top of my list when I write a poetry poem is that it needs to be comprehensible. Just below that is, I need to have something to say that's worth saying. That, okay. That 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 needs to be said. So. The process of of writing a poem and and crafting it, you know, and and finishing it and getting it out where other people can see it is an effortful process. I mean, it's work, but there's certainly rewards all along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, especially because, you know, I mean, one of the magic things that that you find in poetry is creativity that comes with it, you know, that's there. Like, there are surprises there. There are surprises for the poet in in writing it. There are things that you discover. And um, on the whole, it's positive. It's a positive experience to, to do all that work, to create something the way Denise used to talk about it was uh, the finishing was that once the poem's complete, then it has a life of its own. Like you've created something that is going to live on its own. That's why, that's what happens when you publish it. It's just out there, um, independent of the poet. And so it's, it's a, from her point of view, and I, I kind of like the idea, it's, it's a genuine act of creation. Um, it's, it's satisfying. Well, well, speaking of Denise Leverto, all great writers have great writing influences, and she sounds like she's one of yours. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Um I think the way you put it is all great writers have great influences. I I think that's how you put it. I'm not sure I'm yes. a great writer, but but I'll I'll take it. <laughs> I think I'll, you are. I'll take it. <laughs> take it. Take it. I mean, take I, it I, certainly appre- <laughs> I certainly appreciate that. Um, I think I was thinking about this question because I know you've you've asked the other, you know you asked Sandy and and, and others too um, and and Kim. I've been thinking about Susanna Case, 
who I, I, I know you know, you've interviewed her. Yeah, she's been on the and, show, yes. Yeah, and Susanna, um, I really like her po- poems, many of them, and but, but she's really influenced me in the collection. I, I have a second collection that, that's going to come out this winter from Milk and Cake Press, and um, she really influenced me in, in putting that collection together, just with the the way she's put her chapbooks together. She she has this wonderful chapbook. It was her first one, uh, The Scottish Cafe, um, which I have, and I've read it many times, actually. And... Um, it's a very tightly linked collection. The poems really go together. And uh, I've taken that approach and run with it. And um, the other thing I've done that I <laughs> is I, I went to her publisher. I figured, like, if, they're gonna, if they'll publish Susanna Case, maybe they'll publish me too. So I went to Milk and Cake. Milk and Cake Press published one of her recent books, uh, um, Sunday morning falling. I, I'm not. I, I don't quite have the title right. It's a, but it's a very tight collection about a. Um, it's an ecrastic collection, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, Suzanne is definitely one of my influences. I mean, Rowan Ricardo Phillips is. Um, Katie Ford, who's a a wonderful poet. She she runs the poetry program at UC Riverside. I took a workshop with her. I've taken two with her. And and she's the one who taught me about inherited forms. I, I actually, you know, like sonnets and all that other good stuff that, you know, she actually, she, she had this one lesson, lesson about haiku, which really really helped me understand what haiku is about. And I've written a bunch of haikus. Rowan, listening to Rowan read his poetry, um, he's he's a real power of example in terms of freedom, the freedom that he has to to write anything, to say anything. he's, He's just... That was the lesson from him. You're free. Mm-hmm. You can do mm-hmm. what you want. You're free. Mm-hmm. You can do what you want. I like that. Yeah. You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, you can, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Oh, I, I definitely modify my poems after they're published. Um, Tell me about that. Well, my poems are... Um, my my way of writing poems has, has sort of evolved, and, and uh, as I've come to recognize that it's important to have multiple things going on in the poem for, for me to be satisfied that, that it it's something that I want to publish. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll write a fragment and then I'll, I have a list of, I have a list of fragments that I've written and I, I put them together and um, then 
sometimes after I've written something that seems good, then I'll want to ins- add another layer, and I'll do that. And um, sometimes I publish the first piece, you know, the first version, and then I'll publish a new version, which, which uh, has an additional layer. Um, actually, the, one of the poems, I think it was the poem that I sent to you, it's called uh, mm-hmm. Not My Nightmare. And that's one of those poems. It's, it's you know, there, there, there's sort of, there are a bunch of stanzas that are, that are uh, displaced towards the right on the page. And those stanzas are in a different voice. And um, they're, they're, the music is totally different in those. And I, I wrote those, I published the, the original was only the work that's, on the left side of the page, and then I added on, and it, and it was I felt it was one of my one of my most important pieces that I've written, and um, probably the most important. And then I added this second layer to it, and I felt now it is the most important piece. It's probably not the best thing that I've written, but it's it's an important one. Um, well, when you share it now. Will you share it with us? Sure, sure. And I love what I'm going to what I'm going to do, since since no one can see it on the page, is when it switches voice, I'm going to snap my fingers. Okay. Not my nightmare. I saw the pawnbroker in college, a family picnic in a spotless German wood, the growl and squeal of engines and brakes. Soldiers climbing from the trucks. The father led in chains through a warehouse. Another father, dragged from the table, tortured and set to work in a Baghdad prison. Another cop, the wrong door. Another black teenager, shot dead. A glimpse of his nude wife on a gurney men pointing and haggling, the son on another, men pointing and haggling, the daughters calling out and screaming, another daughter sold for breeding, another wife in a fine house. I have lived that in a dream since, and since I was a child, the same trucks at the same curb, the same growls and the same screams. I have always feared that even here in America, the trucks will come someday for me. But that's not my nightmare. Another newsflash, flak jackets and rifles, another sick certainty, pure men of faith. I never noticed that Anywhere in the world, if you're not white, they come any day. You're not male, it's every day. That's not my nightmare. Wow. That was powerful, Don. Extremely powerful. You know, there are so many isms in this world so many isms. 
What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? Well, we write, right? We I okay. mean we have to do we have to do what we can and and like we were talking before, I mean, you know, we do other things, of course, with people, but as poets, we write. We try to move people, try to tell the truth and, you know, find what's true and, and express it in an honest way so that people can trust it. Um, that's the only way that you can move people is by telling them stuff that's honest and true. Yes. You know, they say to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, I'm going to add musicians and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that mm. one. I, 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 I mean, my impression of the effect of my work is some people like it. Most people really don't like it. And, um, well, really? Why do you say that? That's a strong statement. Why do you say that? Well, I think that the topical pieces, a lot of the what I express is really unwelcome. <laughs> you know, okay. people, people don't people don't want to like like I have a whole folio that that's going in the new book that that was recently published called The Big Lie, and it's it's a set of four pieces and they're about America. You know, America has been a lie from the beginning, from the beginning, yes. and yes. You know, my white friends don't want to hear that. You know, they, they, they don't want to hear that the first 15 presidents committed crimes against humanity by presiding over a nation that, that uh, condones slavery. That's a crime against nature. It's listed as a crime against nature. And everybody knows it, and everybody's known it for 2,000 years. You know, people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that George Washington, the namesake of the capital of the United States, committed crimes against humanity. I mean, you know, so, um, and I mean, a lot of poets, right-thinking poets don't want to hear the ugly stuff. People yeah. want to hear, you know, they, people go to poetry because they want to take a break. You know, they want to enjoy something. Um, mm -hmm. They want to enjoy a, a well-wrought sonnet, you know, or, or something else. And um, I respect that. They're allowed to enjoy. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with not liking my stuff. But anyway, yes. I, I don't really know. Um, I mean, some things I do know about the work that I've done. I mean... The work that I've done professionally, like I know what, I can look in the literature, I can look in what, you know, the stuff that I've contributed to medical practice and to that kind of stuff. Like I know what happened there. 
Um, but with poetry, it's sort of, it's hard to say. Um, the big thing, see, is, is we need to have our topical poems read by people who don't think like us. And and when and when when that happens, like you really have no way of of knowing what they think about it or what it did for them or what it how it moved them, because um, they're they're in another country or they're they're you know maybe they're they're fascists who who hate you for whatever reason or you know there's just no way of knowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I. I, I I think it's important to just keep putting it out there. I, I, I have one, I have a fragment of one I'll read to you that that'll okay. give you a good example. But like, like let me just let me find it. This this is in a. Well, let's take a brief break while you look. All right. Great, great. Michael, it, let me let me just read you. I'm going to just read you a fragment of this one. It's it's uh, the title of it is "Be Fruit Be Fruitful for My Nameless Sisters." Um, I'm going to actually I'll read. Let's see here. I'll read two fragments from this. She climbed down the curb and wandered into traffic. I parked crosswise to block the road. She toddled to the other side, up the sidewalk, turned in with me behind like a herding dog. The screen door was locked, the house filled for Shabbos dinner, kids and arguing men in black. A pregnant woman came to the door, let her in with a quiet thank you, locked the door behind her. I saw them again yesterday, two in a stroller, four more walking behind. They all had baby dolls cradled in their arms. Now I'm going to just remind you the title of this is Be Fruitful for My Nameless Sisters. And now here's the last, the last stanza. Psalm 152. I actually, I've also written a Psalm 151. Uh, you know, Psalms has 150 Psalms in it. So this is one, yes. 152. I know you from your world, 
and from your Torah. You destroyed everything but Noah's household when you regretted the vicious world you had made. You killed Lot's wife for remembering her city as you burned it. You glorified Moses, who lay in wait to murder. You hardened Pharaoh's heart to justify killing Egypt's firstborn. Time after time, you proclaimed, I do this so you know how mighty I am. How can I find you righteous and good, trust and love you, or even fear and obey you, since you haven't spoken in a hundred generations? Let's be fruitful. Now that's not a poem that my my Jewish or or you know my Christian friends are are going to like. Okay, but I mean, it doesn't just, sound like it stops you from writing. It doesn't sound like the 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 possible um, turn back, if that's a word, that it stops you from writing. No. No, I mean it. Push, I'm sorry, I, push I, back, I have push to, back, push back is what I was attempting to say. Push back. That's the kind of thing I have to write. I mean, that's the okay. truth for me. That's my truth, and that's how I think how it comes across. Like I'm not yes. telling anybody how to think, um, but I'm telling you, you know, like that's how I think, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm not a you know. It's clearly not the it's not the expression of an atheist. You know, that's that's something else. That's, uh, you know, I've seen your world, you know, and you're a prick. That's the bottom yes. line. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the funny thing is that, you know, the closest person that there is in this world to God in terms of his behavior is Donald Trump. Oh, wow. That's a strong statement. Tell me more. Capricious, totally capricious, vicious, capable of destroying all life on earth at any time. That's Donald Trump, the president of the United States. And by the way, that's any president of the United States. I mean, that's that's a major problem for the whole world. Um, but but Trump in particular, because he's so hateful and vicious and impaired, um, you know, that's that's a part of the reason why he has so many people who follow him. Yes. Don, what what do you want your poetry to do, and where do you want it to go? <laughs> um I actually, I have a little piece here. Let me just read this to you. Okay. It's 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 a fragment of the last piece in my in my collection. It's titled "That Which Is Missing," and I, I'm I'm not going to read the whole thing. If I you read the whole thing, repeat, if you like, if you like, read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. I'd love to hear it. But, well, it's kind of the first part. It's kind of a resentment poem. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> it, here we go. If if I am repeatedly asked to reconcile irreconcilable things, I put the piece down unfinished. That is not because I think it is bad or because I am impatient. Rather, it is part of my aesthetic that what I read should make sense. I am not a trusting person. I write sentences correctly formed and lucid to the extent I can. I then begin removing things. I remove syntactic elements to highlight the voice of the piece. I remove words and phrases to simplify the language, to tighten the ideas, to elevate the music. I remove bits of information to avoid telling the reader what to think or how to feel. I write because I have something to say. I remove things because I want that something to move you because it moved me. That's that which is missing. Would you read that last line again? Yeah. I write because I have something to say. I remove things because I want that something to move you because it moved me. Yes. Yes. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) No. No. I mean, it was too much work. I, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's taken. I mean, I didn't really start to write till maybe ten years ago. I mean, I, you know, I spent the great majority of my life not writing and and not really being able to express myself well in writing because of that distance there is between my thinking and and speech. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I'm a computer person. I do computer work and, and arithmetic. Um, I, the, but, I mean, I, I'm glad that it's, it's, it's an important part of my life now to write. And, and uh, um, anyway, I, yeah, that's, yes, that's my answer. I, I, I'm really interested to hear your answers to these questions. We we gotta turn turn the tables no, here no, at some no. point. Kim will tell you I don't like questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like questions. <laughs> That's funny. What do you view, my friend, as being a measure of success as a poet? Oh. Um, well, I mean, getting a poet poem published is obviously a, a measure of success. It means that an editor or a bunch of readers, you know, appreciated it enough to print it, and and uh, it's going to be out there. It, it you know, it it has a life of its own now. It's 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 in print somewhere online or or on paper. Um, getting a poem translated 
is a, a big success. Um, I think one of my poems, I have a poem called Our Shared Humanities, which, which Sandy really loves. And, and uh, just, you know, hearing what she has to say about it is, is a, you know, it's it's a measure. Of, it's it, it's a real measure of success. It's, it's, mm-hmm. You know, somebody who really would you, knows. Would you share that poem with us? Uh, sure. Uh, let me let me find it. Ah, uh, here we go. It's a different kind of poem. This one. Our shared humanities. Nothing is deadlier. Dogma. So beautiful. Courage. Riskier. Faith. Seductive. Privilege. More noble and just. War. More profane. Indifference, crueler, God, no greater truth, kindness, nor greater lie, color, nothing more human, discovery. That's our shared humanities. Wow. That is really nice, really, really nice. Tell me about your work with cultivating voices, live poetry. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Who do you like about good. yourself? Well, the cultivating voices thing is, you know, that came up. Sandy started that, and was running it in a particular way on Facebook, and then we we connected. I think we connected at a reading. Um, we both, I think. I think it was a reading for um, Beltway Quarterly, actually. We met mm-hmm. at the reading, and, and we, we talked. And I, at some point, I suggested to her she might want to do it on Zoom instead of the way she was doing it, and, and she decided to try it. And I helped and, and uh, got involved in it. And um, I'm real glad that that, that happened. I mean, it, it's it's... It's a real nice thing to do every week. It's it, and it, it's. I think it was really important early on to have that for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people listen to that or or, or view it, and and uh, people early on in the pandemic were really, a lot of people were really isolated, and that yeah. sort of broke through that. And uh, I actually had sponsored some readings on my own, but. Curating a reading series is not really my thing. I mean, Sandy, is, she's the star of Cultivating Voices. She, she's she's a wonderful host and yes, she um, is. does a good job and and really understands the poems on first hearing, which I don't. So, but I'm good. You know, I'm good in the background doing what I do. Anyway, you're, um, you're superb in the background doing what you're doing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the thing about it is that what what that does, what Zoom does in general for for poetry, is it democratizes it. 
you know, it, it makes it cheap for people to attend a reading, and it makes mm-hmm. it cheap for people to read at a reading. So, so you, you know, it removes this, this class structure that's part of modern poetry where, you know, if, if, when somebody, if, if you wanted to run that Cultivating Voices series in person, it would cost you, I don't know, $10,000 a week to bring oh, wow. those poem poets together. Yes. You know, and, and you would never have the audience that you have. Never. And, you know, it, it's sort of like all my friends, the, the people that I know, the few people that I know who are really, you know, get invited to go to conferences and, you know, they're flying around the world and giving readings and stuff. They really miss the in-person stuff. But I'm, I'll tell you what, I don't. I, I think hmm. that, I think, you know, one of the lines in in our shared humanity, nothing more seductive, privilege. That stuff, that's what privilege is about. It's, it's, you know, honoraria and staying in hotels and flying in for reading. It's not a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's for sure privilege. It's very expensive. And... It's so much better when we don't have to do that, you know. So um, I, I think that's important, and I, I think I, I, I really lean towards sponsoring international readings, both for that reason and also yes. because international readings do this additional level of democratization, which is that they reduce the privilege that comes with English and with America. So mm-hmm. sitting in an international reading, I mean, I go to readings in Hindi from time to time, and I'm very uncomfortable sitting there, you know, because I don't understand. I, I'm not first in line like I, I am normally because I'm a white man. I It's not in English. That's good for me. I've, you know, people like me have been in, first in line for way too long. Yes, I understand and that. And it's important that, that, you know, those of us who are right thinking recognize that and, you know, put ourselves in situations where we're uncomfortable, where we just have to sit and listen. And, you know, maybe don't get a say, don't get to read anything, just listen and just be part of the crowd. And anyway, that's what Cultivating voices and all the other readings that I'm that I you know I'm privileged to be involved in are that's what they are for me. I, I sit wow. there and I just work and I, I do some service. Wow. You know, we've almost come to the end of this journey, but we do have time for one more poem. Please give us one more. Okay. This is the closing poem for my from my new book. Um Nobody's accepted this poem, so it hasn't been published yet. In the beginning, Lot's wife died nameless, not because she looked back, but for remembering. In a sweet vision, I live naked, small trees, wide-spaced, warm shade, rich with apricots. 
a white beach in view, gentle surf, a dark squall rushing across the water, a walled colossus to the south, massive piers, men of all shades at labor, oars and sails, slanted ships, long and low, bilge and shackles, Babel, the towers at city center in flames, smoke and harbor stench, billowing silver in the sun. I have always longed to live simply in an orchard, figs and cedar, olives and almonds, ladders and baskets, gloves and fresh bread, each day time stretching to the evening cool. So many remember their past lives as princes. Like them, I long for Eden, where tyranny and forgetting were new. That's in the beginning. In the beginning. Now we're at the end. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michael. I am so glad that our paths have crossed. Me too. And I want to thank you again for sharing your gift tonight. Being open and honest, I really appreciate it. Me too, Michael. All right. Well, to our listening audience, I say to you, as I say to you every week, let poetry ring. Be safe out there. Take care of each other. Until next time, good night. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.